I suppose that if I were to choose one of the gospel accounts that relates to what I am interested in and what uh, I guess the way it presents itself, it would be the gospel of John. I love the way the apostle John looks into the life of Jesus and simply lays it out for us to be able to see him for who he is. Much more than a man, the Messiah. As one gets to chapter 3, he sees a picture of a very important man, sometimes much more important than we realize, a man by the name of Nicodemus. And there we have a teacher, as Brother Tommy read just a few moments ago, whom the Lord asked, Are you a teacher? And you, do you not know these things? The picture of Jesus given in the Gospels is that of a remarkable person. It's hard for me to even conceive of how great Jesus was as I look at his life. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, we begin when Jesus is 12 years old and he has gone to Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph. They left thinking that Jesus was in the company of those who were traveling with them. After three days, they observe that Jesus is not there, and they begin to search for him frantically. As you pick up in verse 46, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Folks, think with me for just a moment. A 12-year-old boy sitting among the people who are the elite doctors and lawyers of the law of God, and he is amazing everyone. In fact, if you look at verse 46, he's listening to them, and he's asking questions. The perception that Jesus had into God's word was beyond normal. In fact, it says they were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus spoke back to them. But you see, the truth is, he knew it all from the very beginning. Though he was in the body of a 12-year-old boy, he still was the son of God and he still had all knowledge and all understanding. I think about Psalm 119, verses 98 through 100. As you read and think about David, and he says, You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than my teachers. And then he goes on to say in verse 100, I understand more than the ancients, those of old. You think about Jesus being the very word of God and himself being a revelation of God and the uh, Godhead here upon this earth. Well, I'd like for us today to concentrate on John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We're going to look at the life of Nicodemus as he came to Jesus. And we really want to cover three things. We want to talk about the person. It's valuable to talk about Nicodemus, who he was and 
to see how important he was in this plan that God had revealed. Number two, to talk about the plan that Jesus revealed that God gave so that a person could enter the kingdom, could be saved. Then finally, to look at the precept that follows from this. And so as we begin, let's start with verses 1 and 2. And if you'll keep your Bibles open there at John chapter 3, that's where we're going to study most of our lesson today. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus is not only mentioned here, but he's mentioned in two other passages. So for a moment, let me take you to those other two passages so that you and I can get a full picture of who he is. The other is found in John chapter 7. And if you'll turn there to verses 47 through 52, I will tell you that this is that the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus has gone up and people are beginning to ask the question, who is he? Is he the Christ? Is he the prophet? Is he the Son of God who was to come? And yet the Pharisees had sent the officers to arrest Jesus. They came back and basically the officers said, we never heard anybody speak like him. No man ever spoke like this. And so the response, the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him or in him? Their question is simply this to those soldiers. Look around you. Do you see any of the rulers? No. Do you see any of the Pharisees believing in him? No. But this crowd who does not know the law is accursed. What they're suggesting is, if you were smart, if you were intelligent, if you understood the law, you would understand Jesus cannot be the Christ. Verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Well, I'd suggest to you there's two things that you need to observe here in this passage. Number one, they evidently don't realize that Nicodemus, who is one of them, is a believer in Jesus. Because they had just said none of the rulers, none of the Pharisees have believed in him. Nicodemus is trying to get them to give Jesus a fair hearing. Their response in verse 52 Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. They look at Nicodemus and say, Are you ignorant also? Now if you'll go with me further to John chapter 19, and let's look at verses 38 through 40. John chapter 18, verses or 19, verses 38 through 40. Now, obviously, you realize that Jesus has already been crucified by this time. 
He has actually died on the cross and is ready to be taken down. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh, aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in the strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. You see Nicodemus participating with Joseph. We're going to observe in a few moments that Joseph was also one of this category of the rulers of the Jews. So from these texts, here's what we observe. Number one, he was a Pharisee. That means that he was a separated individual. He didn't associate with the common people. He didn't associate with the Gentiles. He thought himself better than others. All one has to do is to read the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector to realize how above everyone they thought themselves to be. They also believed in angels and spirits and the resurrection as we observe in Matthew chapter or excuse me Acts chapter 23. But second of all, it says that he was a ruler of the Jews. That meant that he was a part of this Jewish supreme court called the Sanhedrin. This was a body of people that would evaluate people's spiritual condition. They were the ones who observed the law. You remember Acts 23? When Paul's arrested in Jerusalem at the temple, he is brought before the Jewish council, brought before the Sanhedrin. Well, Nicodemus was a member of that group of people. Now, the text tells us that he came to Jesus by night. And I will tell you that there are some speculation involved as to why he came. I read a few commentaries this week who said that Jesus came to avoid the large crowds of the day that during a period of time when Jesus was teaching during the day there'd be large crowds and so Nicodemus chose the night to come. I don't think that's the proper explanation. I think the proper explanation is he probably did not want to be seen with Jesus. And you'd say, well, how would you draw that conclusion? I want you to listen to John chapter 12 verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We learn that there are many rulers who believed in him. I know two who believed in him. was Nicodemus. And Joseph. But if you'll notice, each time Nicodemus' name is raised, it's always the one who came to Jesus by night. When I go back and I read about Joseph of Arimathea, specifically in John 19, he tells us he did it for fear of the Jews. And 
Mark chapter 15, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. John's account says, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Evidently, Nicodemus, just like Joseph, was concerned about people seeing him being a follower of Jesus. But he addresses Jesus by the title Rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. What does that mean? The term Rabbi means my teacher. And you say, well, what's the significance of that? Matthew 23, verses 7 and 8. They love the greetings in the marketplaces to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Jesus' teaching is you don't take people and elevate them up above others. And yet Nicodemus was a teacher. And what did he do? He looked up and he called Jesus my teacher. Rabbi, he's giving him honor, giving him a place of distinction. He recognizes this one knows more than I know. This one has greater understanding than I have. A teacher seeking seeking to be taught. Evidently, he is curious about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, verse 17 to verse 23, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 23, he said he went about all Galilee teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Nicodemus is interested in what it takes to enter the kingdom of God, and Jesus is going to provide that answer, which leads us to our second part, and that's the plan. Look with me now, verses 3 through 8, as the plan is revealed. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want you to listen. Nicodemus has said, you must be born again. Another birth. I don't think sometimes we appreciate the true significance of this term unless, or if you're looking at an older translation, the word except. What that means is this is not just good and important, it's absolutely essential. 
I want to take a couple of passages which use the same word and, and illustrate that to you. For instance, Matthew 18 and verse 3. Assuredly, I say unto you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you go to heaven without being converted? No, you can't. You can't enter the kingdom of God. You cannot be a child of God unless there's been some conversion that has taken place in your heart and in your spirit. Let me give you a more secular illustration. If you go to Acts chapter 27 and verse 31, you remember Paul is on this ship. It's gone through a storm. And if you'll remember, the winds and the waves are so much that they're in fear they're going to lose their lives. They've gone days without eating. And all hope is just about lost. Paul responds to them by saying to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What does that mean? Except or unless you stay on the ship. You get off this boat, you're dead. The only salvation you can find is in this ship. When Jesus said, unless a person is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is essential. Nicodemus' response is, how can this be? In his mind, he can understand the idea of being born again. He is thinking and pondering about a physical birth. How do I know he says so? Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I'd suggest to you that's an absurdity. Most of us have grown so much since our birth that just almost becomes laughable. But Nicodemus is trying to say, How can that take place? Jesus' response, a man must be born of the water and of the Spirit. I'm amazed how many people try to explain away the term born of water. I will tell you, it cannot be done. You can't explain it away. Let me illustrate that to you for just a moment. John chapter 1, verses 26 and 31. John answered them saying, I baptize with water. Verse 31. I did not know him, but he that he should be revealed in Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. You go to chapter 3, just beyond where we're studying now. And he says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Aedon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. You can't miss the association of being baptized in water. Acts 2, or excuse me, Acts 8, verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, both Philip and the eunuch, and he went down in the water and he baptized him. You know why he did that? Because the eunuch said, see, here is water. Acts 10, verse 47. Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized? 
You can't miss the water and the plan of conversion. Baptism is that initiating rite that puts a person into the body, the church, the kingdom. You can't miss that. If you look at scriptures, you remember Acts 2 verse 38, they'd ask, what shall we do? Peter's response, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. There was about 3,000 souls added to them. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see the baptism that takes place and the being added to the church. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, for by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. Galatians 3, 26 and following. For you all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But someone says, okay, I get that. You can't get water out of that passage. But what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? I am so thankful the Lord added verse 6. And John recorded it. Where he tells us that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There was a time in which you were born. Do you know what took place? Your father and your mother came together and they conceived you of seed. And because your father and your mother were physical... You were born in a physical sense. When you have the heart, the receptor of spiritual seed, there is the conception taking place of the birth of a child of God. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, having been born again, can't miss those words, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Luke 8 and verse 11. Now the seed is the word of God. Okay, I think I start understanding. The seed, the word of God, is planted into the heart of someone and it brings forth a spiritual being and a person is born of the water and of the spirit. And Romans 8 and verse 9 says, But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. But now it would be very easy to stop right there and smile and say we've covered what the Lord said to Nicodemus. Oh, but there's so much more in the precept. That begins with verse 9 and goes through verse 17. So let's read that together. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher in Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You see, if you go back and you look at Nicodemus' statement to Jesus, his focus is primarily and essentially upon the physical. And Jesus is trying to change him from thinking in physical terms to spiritual terms, from worldly to heavenly because there's a, a change in life that takes place. You remember 2 Corinthians 5 or 17? Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Remember Romans 6 and verse 4? You're raised to walk in newness of life. Nicodemus, you're thinking only in physical terms. And so he says, no one has ascended to heaven. But he who has descended. You see, what he's trying to do is redirect Nicodemus' focus from the here and the now to heavenward. And what he's going to do, he's going to point out, heaven came down. I like that song, heaven came down and filled my soul. John 1 and verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Verse 46 of chapter 6, no one has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. How am I going to know what is going on in heaven? I've not been there, you've not been there. The only one who can properly tell us is Jesus because that's where he came from. He's trying to get... Nicodemus to look up and realize who Jesus is, where he's from. Second of all, he's going to say, look up and the Son of Man will be lifted up. And to do that, he's going to reference an Old Testament event. Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 9. Children of Israel griped, moan, fuss, complain, and any other one of those adjectives you can think of with regards to the way God had provided for them. In fact, in verse 5, talking about the manna that God had provided, they said, our soul loathes this worthless bread. We're sick of it. We're tired of it. We don't want any more. Moses said God sent fiery serpents among the people. Verse 6, they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. As you would expect, the people came to Moses saying, Moses, we've made a mistake now. Please do something. Stop these serpents. Through God's direction, Moses erected a bronze serpent, and the people of Israel would have to look up to that bronze serpent in order to be able to live. 
the parallel, Jesus has said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Just like they put that serpent up on a pole, they're going to put the Son of Man on a cross. Nicodemus, you've got to focus on the Son of Man being lifted up. And then number three, something I think is just so important is, why is Jesus here anyway? Because Jesus came down to save man. Heaven's desire, heaven's motivation is, God doesn't want anyone to be lost. He loved the world to the extent that He gave His only begotten Son. It's reminiscent of what God said through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. He says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn, turn, O house of it, from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, I am here, I'm giving you instructions to be born again because God loves you and wants you to be saved. The signs caught Nicodemus' attention. Rabbi, no one could do the signs which you do except God is with him. But it was the instruction, the teaching of the teacher that provided him with a saving message and the saving motivation. Nicodemus, is what you do, and here is why God did this for you. Now listen carefully, because this is the part that comes to us. You can obey the same plan of salvation that Jesus taught Nicodemus. You can be born of the water and of the Spirit, and you can enter into the kingdom of God just like Nicodemus was told that he could do. What a wonderful privilege you and I have to have God's message presented to us through His Word, through the writing of the Gospel of John, to know what we need to do. Practically every assembly we have, we have a number of people who have not yet obeyed the Gospel. Sometimes it's a young person. Sometimes it's it's a young boy or young girl who's 12, 13 years of age whose their minds have now come to the understanding of what they need to do. They've been thinking about it. Sometimes just an older teenager, maybe a young adult who's put it off and said, now I, I think it's my time to do what I need to do. But I'm persuaded there's probably some of you here who are well past what's called youth and you've not yet obeyed the gospel And you need to be born again to become a child of God. It's also possible that like the prodigal son, those of us who are God's children sometimes walk off and leave. And we need to come back, ask God's forgiveness. And that's why we sing an invitation song is to give you that opportunity. If you need to respond, come as we stand and sing.